Hello and welcome to ZeroNet50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me as always is Joel Stronberg. Hi, Joel. Hi, Jennifer. So we're having a beautiful foliage season in my backyard. How's it going where you are? Well, uh, the weather's kind of uh, going along with a lot of attitudes in uh, Washington these days. It's kind mm -hmm. of bleak and rainy. Um, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> what, what do you expect? This is Washington and in, in the Trump era. So. Right, and pre-election and, oh, and all and, of it. So. And all of it, yeah, exactly, all of it. <laughs> well, speaking of my backyard, things have been pretty exciting around here. Um, earlier this year, just as the pandemic was starting to become a reality in the U.S., the Vermont House passed uh, the Global Warming Solutions Act, and just for the record, um, the name of that act has actually been picked up from other states around us who also have passed acts like this. Um, and uh, okay, so they passed it, but then we know what happened, the pandemic hit. And there was this feeling in the spring that the act wasn't going to really go anywhere. So there was, you know, a little bit of sadness in that respect, but it interestingly still had life in June and passed out of committee to the Senate. And then despite a clear indication that uh, our governor, Governor Phil Scott would veto it, the house in mid September, just, you know, just recently passed the act and then very quickly the Senate followed, which sent it to the governor's desk for signing. But as expected, Scott vetoed it in very short order, and the next day the House immediately overrode the veto because they have the ability to do that. Uh, and a few days later, the Senate did the same thing, bringing the act into law. It all happened really fast, and uh, I mean, there, it certainly felt like it was predictable as we went along. But you know, given that it was February when we were first thinking, where are we going to go with this to see it actually be laws, is very interesting. Um, but the opponents of the, uh, the bill had a really clear message, um, as one representative here in Vermont said about it, uh, that climate change is occurring is not under debate here, which is absolutely true. What should be under consideration is how do we achieve reasonable goals in a reasonable time period for a reasonable cost to taxpayers? And... You know, we can pause and say to ourselves, well, let's let's argue semantics and ask what is reasonable. You can look up the word and it doesn't give you anything to go on. Um, and, you know, who is it reasonable to? So in vetoing the bill, Scott said in a letter to the legislature that the law would lead to inefficient spending because, you know, the costs are too high, in his opinion, um, and also long, costly court battles. And he says, quote, not the tangible investments in climate resilient infrastructure and affordable weatherization and clean transportation options that Vermonters need. So, you know, he has a path that he sees would be um, helpful in, in Vermont's experience, but everybody doesn't agree. So, you know, he, he certainly stands out there in terms of his, his vision for having some change for the climate and he doesn't dispute it. So, that, you know, that's a good place for a Republican governor. Um, but it's this question about these long costly court battles that are the sticker here because the act mandates that Vermont meet car uh, certain carbon emissions reductions targets 
and allows for litigation against the state government should those targets not be met. And per the law, and here's a quick rundown of what it is we, we're supposed to be trying to achieve, um, we want 26% below 2005 carbon emission levels by 2025, and then it ramps up to 80% below um, 1990 carbon emission levels by 2050, and there's also a net zero greenhouse gas emissions um, by 2050. So, you know, it changes things a little bit in terms of what the goals were before. It was like 50% below by 2028 for the 1990 levels and 75% below by 2050. But the state has demonstrated that they, they don't, they're not making progress. And emissions, in fact, according to, I don't know, a couple of years ago, data show that it's that the emissions are higher, like 15% higher than 1990 levels. So that's not progress. So it doesn't surprise me that there's this step to holding the state accountable. Um, and I think that's the crux of the argument for those who support this act and what others call extreme ex and expensive opportunities. So uh, they wanna hold the state accountable. And here it's, I think, important to consider those ramifications not just for our state, but for the country. And I, f I feel like you have, you know, some very specific um, insights into what this means for you know, everyone. Uh, yeah, well, I do, Jennifer. I mean, um, and I think what, I, let me start by saying that, um, you know, I think part of the problem uh, is, is becoming that Republicans are now talking um, much more broadly about the fact that climate change is in fact a reality. Um, and so that part of the conversation is, is less difficult um, to get over these days than, than mm -hmm. it has been in the past. Um, the problem is that it's, uh, they're doing it in, in a way that, that still creates the difference between what actually needs to be done and can be done and what they feel needs to be done and mm -hmm. can be done. Mm -hmm. um, and for example, I mean, you get into these, these questions of equity. You know, what is a just transition? Um, and, you know, they, you get these pockets. I mean, whether it's, whether it's the business owners or a number of the labor unions. I mean, half the, half the labor unions in this country, for example, are not really very excited about going into a solar wind alternative energy future because they have good paying jobs at the moment um, in the oil and gas industry. Um, and it's, you know, we're, we're being caught up in a way that um, the opposition now sounds more reasonable than it did last year, perhaps, but it's still not going to give over um, to what needs to be done. So what we have to do is we, we, we have to begin to define what it is um, that is possible. And I think one of the ways we do that is to look at industry. Um, I mean, the auto sector, for example, uh, you know, despite what, what President Trump has to say, um, is becoming electric. I mean, it's uh, it, it, in the next few years, with or without any kind of um, legislative prodding, the auto trans transportation sector is going to be much much more um, green than, than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're seeing now, you know, in a situation where what you've got in, in you've got an unusual situation in Vermont because you've got a, a state legislature, both House and Senate, that can override 
an executive veto. Mm -hmm. um, and that is not the case clearly at the, the national level and in a lot of the states. And I think that, that one of the reasons I think the, the Vermont law is so exceptional is because of the standing issue and because it might hold out promise um, for other states. And I think this is something that, that needs to be um, kind of broadcast and monitored both. I mean, I think that, that, um, that other states have to kind of look at this Vermont uh, model and say, well, can we do that too? Now, the, the problem we have with the Vermont model that, that I have is that any person can actually sue the Secretary of Natural Resources um, for not putting into effect the rules that are necessary to meet the targets, but it's not clear what the court can order the, the, the state to do. Um, and this is where we get into a problem that, you know, a court, a, a judge will look at three questions before they will actually consent to take a case. And whether this is the state level or, or the federal level doesn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. um, it decides, a court has to decide whether, the, whether the, the, the plaintiff in the case actually has standing to sue which the mm -hmm. Vermont law gives. I mean, it says that citizens can commence a legal action, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's going to, see, it's going to look at um, the question of, can the court um, actually give the, 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 the redress that's being asked for in this case? And that's where we get into mm -hmm. a lot of difficulties. I mean, mm -hmm. can a court order a state legislature or the Congress to pass a law. Well, it's real difficult to do that. Um, and it, it's difficult on, on a number of levels, not the least of which is, this is where you get into the expense. I mean, where um, somebody says, well, this is just too expensive to do. Well, it, you know, on a singular basis, it is. And of course, not gonna, it's not gonna look, it's not going to look at what the, the legislature takes into consideration after it's ordered to do something. And in the Vermont case, the order isn't even to the legislature, it's to the executive branch. Mm -hmm. um, and the way the executive branch, the secretary could answer that is by writing a rule that, that actually conforms to the targets that are written in the act. And there it stops again. I mean, again, where does the court come in um, to be able to order this to happen. And that's mm -hmm. what happens is that becomes a political question um, that the court can't write legislation and it can't really order a legislature and a, an executive to do that. So I think that as we go forward, we have to look at other ways that um, the standing of, the, of, of citizens um, is added to by finding remedies um, that in fact a court can can order. And this is, you know, it's the same question in the juvenile cases. In the Juliana case, you know, with, with all the young plaintiffs going before um, the courts and saying, well, you know, this is our future. Um, and none of the courts have actually disagreed with them. They just indicate that they don't really have the, the authority um, to do this. And because they don't have the authority, then the plaintiffs don't have standing. And that's, mm -hmm. you kind of get into this, 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 Chinese fire drill, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I think this is this has to be the future. I mean, we we have to find a way to stop this cycle. You know, the cycle of um, one administration comes in and looks to regulate the environment to meet 
um, the demands of climate change. Then another administration comes in and tries to undo it. Now, you know, w we get that to the extreme in the case of, uh, of Trump um, and the Congress these days. And my guess is that, uh, I mean, you, your governor and your legislature obviously are not even on the same page. Mm -hmm. So um, can you, I mean, can Vermonters um, elect a governor and a legislature of the same party and be able to kind of move this forward. And I think this is this is the question of the future. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how do we get uh, now that Republicans you know, are willing to at least admit to the problem? Where does the answer come in? And I think mm -hmm. one of the problems that we have these days politically is that people are so far on the extremes that we're not talking to each other anymore. I mean, you know, compromise has become a dirty word. Now, in all cases, compromise is not a good solution. Uh, I mean, if 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 uh, some if, if a husband is accused of raping a, a wife and the judge says, well, okay, uh, don't do that, do that to thirty percent less. Uh, right. Hardly, I mean, hardly a, a, an answer to the problem. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the same thing happens. We have to stop. We have to stop stepping across to two worlds. I mean, where mm -hmm. we're, we're both fossil fueled and not fossil fueled. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where the problem comes in, especially on things like carbon taxes, um, where the environmental community, and I think justifiably, says that, you know, we, uh, these industries are just going to pay to keep polluting. Um, mm -hmm. Well, you know, not only does, the, does the, the, the consumer take that up, but the fact of the matter is we need to stop polluting. Um, and to meet the, the targets, we have to not only do that, we have to plant trees, we have to um, find ways to uh, take carbon out of the air and put it into the sink and, and what have you. Um, it's not that we're not making progress. I mean, the, the most new generation capacity these days is solar and wind. Mm -hmm. um, but sustainability is also a bigger issue than that. And that's also something that um, where, you know, these future fights are going to get into is that, um, Climate change is, is really about sustainability. Um, and so what do you do with all the plastic? Um, what do we do about, you know, the cars on the road that are running on, engine, on, on internal combustion engines? Um, and all of these questions, and, and we don't approach this in a holistic way. And I think that that's where the future has to be, is we have to be able to, to kind of, number one, we have to create holistic strategies to get out of the mess we're in, and we have to create the laws um, and the enforcement policies that actually make that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get frustrated sometimes, you know, listening to the two sides talk about, um, you know, who who's paying ultimately for the solutions that we're coming up with. And um, it's like, oh, well, the people who are low income are being penalized for net metering in Vermont. We're about to overhaul our net metering program here and coming up in October. And, you know, the, the conversation is all about who's paying for it and is it too expensive and so on and so forth. And you know, people who are low income can't put, can't afford to put it on their roofs, but they are paying for it. And, and people who can afford to install it are benefiting. Okay, so we, we're arguing back and forth about, uh, you know, how much it costs and who's paying for it. And everybody has a different idea about, about that. Um, also, practically in the same breath that Governor Scott vetoed the Global Warming Solutions Act, uh, which he called too expensive, uh, he um, 
passed or signed a law that allows Vermont efficiency utilities to spend up to $2 million of their annual budget on programs addressing emissions in the transportation and heating sectors. Uh, Scott, like I said earlier, is, has been a, behind the electric vehicle um, movement in Vermont, and, and so he continues to toe that line. Um, and so it, it all comes down to that idea of who thinks what is reasonable. And that's a question we all have to ask ourselves as we move through this next year. We we do, and but you know, by the same token too, that you know, there's a lot of talk. Well, we can't possibly afford to do that. Well, can we possibly afford to pollute the the environment anymore? I mean, that's right. um, and I also find that uh, this may sound harsher than I mean it to sound, but okay. but when Republicans talk about environmental justice and you know at risk. Um, communities of color and low income. As far as I'm concerned, those are crocodile tears. I mean, mm -hmm. they didn't. They only started caring about it um, because it's become a, a way to to um, repel the the arguments that we need to make the transition. Yeah. The concept of a just transition actually takes care of that. I mean, not only are there new jobs available in these kinds of things, um, but there's there's better health um, as far as pollution, air pollution, and the the link between COVID nineteen and air pollution is actually fairly strong. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing we get to, you know, it's if you do something half assed on on two sides, it's going to be more expensive. There's no question of that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's what is more expensive and it's where does the future come in and the future is not in the oil and gas sector and I don't mean that from a political situation I mean BP um, and Shell have now standing up and saying you know peak oil is basically here and we're not going to make our future is not in oil and gas mm -hmm. it's in renewables um, you know we've seen with the with the the downturn in the economy you know the fracking companies most of them are, have gone bankrupt now because they require um, a different economic model. And it's not just because of COVID-19. It's also mm -hmm. because they can't compete any longer with solar and wind because of the, of the, the, the rapid um, downpricing of, of these technologies. That mm -hmm. These are competitive now in many markets, although they're not without their problem as well. And again, we have to... If you don't look at the whole picture, you don't really understand the cost and benefit. And in the case of solar, for example, one of the things that is being talked about a lot these days, and um, and I think justifiably, is what do you do with the old PV panels? I mean, they're mm -hmm. um, and you have to kind of include that in the in the cost of solar and what have you. But but those are those are issues that can be taken care of. Again, as long as you keep two systems alive, then none of them are going to be economic. Um, yeah. And we have to accept that. And, and as far as new jobs are concerned, well, you know, that's progress. And, and you either deal with progress or you're going to get mowed over by it. I mean, talk to about, I mean, think about the firemen on um, locomotives, coal fired locomotives mm -hmm. that didn't have a job when diesel came in. Um, right. And so you, I mean, the way you create a just transition is not by keeping old things in place it's by trying to um to to move those in a way that i mean what is no longer a good fit for the economy becomes a good fit and you do that through retraining uh, to be honest with you i would pay all the coal miners um 
you know, a salary for the rest of their lives um, if we didn't have opposition as far as the movement towards uh, renewables and clean energy sources are concerned, because even that would be more economic um, than what's going on now. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, trying to keep these fossil industries alive just isn't just isn't there. Um, and when you talk about environmental uh, economic stimulation you talk about putting in uh, infrastructure for evs there there's just so much that can be done that isn't being done because of these rather rather specious arguments mm -hmm. yeah well the the whole net metering program here in vermont since 2011 has just been dropping uh, you know, every time they do a review they drop the incentive and now they're at two cents and the idea is we're going to drop that in half this year and then we're going to just get rid of it next year. And they have they have systematically wiped out the solar industry for jobs in Vermont. So it's like, okay, well, what's what's the benefit there? And there's all this conversation about you know, low income people who are paying and are you know are taking the brunt of the the cost for this, but. You know, if we don't do anything, they are traditionally the same people who bear the brunt of uh, the effects of climate change. Well, that, that's right. And, and efficiency. I mean, you talk about low income neighborhoods. I mean, the, you talk about any neighborhood, actually. I mean, the mm -hmm. most cost efficient thing in the world is efficiency. I mean, it's mm -hmm. think of all the jobs that would be created by um, by retrofitting buildings. I mean, this is the Green New Deal talks about this right. as, as the first thing they want to do. And it's always made sense. I mean, you 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 don't put a, anything on a building that's not efficient um, and say, well, that's OK. I mean, it, doesn't make a difference where the power comes from. Mm -hmm. um, if it's wasting it, it's not okay. And if you can use that to stimulate economic development and what have you, then that's that is a great thing to do. And that even that's not being done. I mean, the opposition for years in Washington, uh, the the low income programs have basically been subsidization of. Uh, energy bills for low-income families for some period of time. Well, why don't we invest more heavily in saving, in, in, in making those build their homes efficient, so that not only are not our subsidies not necessary, but the fact is that people aren't going to aren't going to die from from the cold or the heat because the federal programs, for example, or the state programs, only pay for, only help to subsidize bills for so long. Um, and then you leave people back on the hook again, saying, well, that's your problem. We helped you for, for three months, and the fact that you need six months is, just isn't our business anymore. And, mm -hmm. um, and this, I mean, like I said, this is the most efficient that utilities do, but it's not in the utility's interest to save energy. So no. what you need is you need federal policies or state policies that somehow um, – rebalance what's in a utility's interest and what's not in its interest and charging you know fooling around with the net metering is not one of those things right. the other thing that happens too is that you know the the industries could probably take the changes in net metering if they were predicted long enough in advance i mean this is something that that is 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 another inefficiency of of the of our system is that markets don't like um uh, not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so certainty is, I mean, certainty is a big thing for an economic market. If we could actually pass an, a policy, tax credit or whatever, it doesn't make any difference and say, okay, between this year and 10 years out, this is what's going to happen. 
then you increase the efficiency with which money and energy are both used. And mm -hmm. as long as you make this this kind of political football that changes back and forth, uh, you know, between between Republicans and Democrats, then we're never going to have a situation where this is going to be um, cost effective, so to speak. The problem with government in this case is that if they don't act, the private sector is acting already. So, so do we want do we want the future markets to be guided by industries like, once again, whose interest is their bottom line? even if it's also the, the environment, but whose interest is ultimately their bottom line doing de facto public policy. And I don't mm -hmm. think we do. And I think that if we create a policy now that works hand in glove, so to speak, with industry, everybody comes out a winner. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a lot going on. And, you know, I, I, I think it's important that we had this opportunity to highlight, you know, something small that's going on in one state that is potentially uh, important to everybody. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't. I hope nobody gets the impression that I that I think that what Vermont has just done is in any way small. I mean, I think that it's right. the, the leading edge of what needs to be done and put on the agenda of of all the the climate um, activists that we have out there. And for my for my part, I'm going to be writing about this um, very thing for that reason. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. Well, um, I think we should wrap it up right there. Certainly in the coming weeks, we've, we, well, I hate to say that there's, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about the election because everything changes every day and who knows what we might be talking about next time. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, who knows but, if we'll even be talking next time. <laughs> exactly. But I think that the, you know, we are right on the election and, and that is something that we'll come back around to. So oh, people can, can check back in and uh, think okay. about that a little bit. So thank you for chatting about my backyard uh, today. It's, it's always interesting for me to dig in a little deeper here when, you know, I, I don't I don't get to as much as I like to. So that was very nice of you. Thank you. Uh, my, my pleasure as always. And um, all I can say is everybody needs to get out there and vote. That's right. Absolutely. Vote, vote, vote. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much to our listeners for joining us. You can tweet questions and comments to hashtag 0 50 and have a great day.